Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Tuesday, February 6th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we begin the process of team previews. We have three team previews ready to go for this episode, focusing on the AL West today. So lots of ground to cover as we get to the Rangers, the Angels, and the A's. Why start with the Rangers? Well, they're the defending champions, so we'll get to those in just a couple of minutes. And as is often the case this time of year, you get ready to start a show, you go make sure one last time there's no breaking news, and there is a little bit of breaking news. Clayton Kershaw has signed a one-year contract to return to the Dodgers. I don't know if we're going to see Clayton Kershaw pitch until late summer at the earliest, but he's officially back as a Dodger for the upcoming season. Yeah, his doctor mentioned four to six month recovery times, and so you might think you get a couple months out of him this coming season. I did try my hand at some uh, Google doctoring, and uh, and what I found uh, found like more like fifteen to seventeen month recovery times. I mean, he was it was the shoulder surgery. I mean, those are always worse than elbow surgeries. So. I don't know that I think he's going to pitch a lot this year. And you said there was a player option, perhaps. Yeah, for 2025. That's a weird year to say. (laughs) By the way, also, uh, I am just playing at a doctor when I do these Google searches. As is uh, a a, a reader pointed out, I had the wrong ankles for Correa. So uh, the plantar fasciitis on uh, the left has nothing to do with the fractured tibula and, you know, ankle surgery that he had on the right. So uh, there's that for you. (laughs) Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, actually, what's funny is I want to push back just a tiny bit. Like, your body is, like, uh, you know, likes equilibrium. So, you know, you can have a problem on one side that creates a problem on the other side. You compensate, mechanics adjust, and new problem is formed. I did have the legs wrong, so... (laughs) That's why you're a Google doctor and not an actual <laughs> not physician. An actual one, yeah. Makes sense. Uh, other news that happened actually overnight. Jake Junis is a brewer now. I called for more roster spackle for this brewer's rotation. And they delivered. And you got it immediately. It didn't even take a day. That's incredible. I mean, how how much can he throw that slider? Because that's what, that's what it comes down to. He's throwing it more and more, and it's a top fifteen slider by stuff plus, and you know, so he, you know, the Giants are like, hey, it's it's really good by the models. You can throw it more and more. The other pitches are all uh, below average, and that's uh, how you get uh, kind of Wade Miley esque. You know, it's like one really good pitch that he can throw for strikes or for swinging strikes. So, you know, it's kind of useful in two different ways. And then some other pitches, they're going to just try and mix around that one just to keep you from sitting slider on every pitch. We'll see if it works. There is a group chat that exists in which I said I would eat a hat if Jake Junis and Corbin Burns both throw over 100 innings this year and Junis beats Burns in both ERA and WHIP. To which someone in the group chat said the ERA is actually kind of like they kind of gave me the nudge like, Hey, you're pushing it with the ERA a little bit. (laughs) Also, like, you could see a season where Jake Judas throws 101 kind of relief innings, you know, and they never let him see, like, the fifth inning. And, you know what I mean? And they just just use him the very best way they can and just coax that out of him. I mean, you know, he he was kind of central to the uh, much-hated 
plans for the Giants to kind of, you know, do the raise thing, um, you know, to the extent that they did. But even then, a 387 ERA in 86 innings where, again, he wasn't allowed to go deep in games and um, wasn't allowed to see a ton of lefties and stuff like that. Curious to see how it really works out. I think the 100-ish inning workload is probably the optimal workload, but the the message was Junis was signed to be a starter, at least to begin the season. So we'll have to see how it actually plays out over the course of a full season in that role. It's actually a great day to start team previews because the Pakota standings at Baseball Prospectus came out, and they're just a great snapshot of simulating the season, getting some expected results, always gets people chirping on Twitter as it is. Let's start with the defending champions. Our first team preview for 2024, the Texas Rangers. Dakota has them at 86.2 wins in the simulation. <laughs> It'd be kind of tough to hit that mark. It's going to be very hard to hit 86.2. <laughs> but that's like they got the Astros at 95. Like this still by projection is the Astros division. And I know especially for a team that just won the World Series, it was a really quiet winter for the Rangers. They're among the teams that are facing the uncertainty around their TV deal. They made huge splashes in recent off seasons with Seager and Simeon signings, and they've got young talent coming up on the roster. But when the off season started, we were at first pitch Arizona, and one of our friends and listeners, Will Garofalo, said, Josh Hader's going to the Rangers. It just makes too much sense. I said, Will, you're absolutely right. It does make too much sense because it's a move they can justify that is a big spend that isn't the nine-figure mega deal, right? They can still do something keep the momentum, and continue their run. And they, they can still do it without Josh Hader, but it is like an extra little punch in the ribs for the Rangers that he ended up in Houston, given how badly they could have used an elite reliever to close out games in Texas. I, I like some of the guys there. I like LeClerc. He's had some really bad commands some years. I like Sabors. In fact, I, you know we have a pretty good projection for him um, of like low threes ERA projection because of his stuff. And we saw how good he can be in the playoffs. I'm a little surprised when I go to his player page and I'm like, wow, it's, it's been a five of six ERA over the last two years. Like, I don't really understand that from the eye test. Like his Sierra has been three the last two years and throws 97 with a great hard breaking ball. But, um, you know, so I like him, but there's obviously some question marks about him. Robertson's super old. Kirby Yates is is pretty old, and like the fastball's going down. But I love Kirby Yates' splitter. I love Robertson's breaking ball. You know, Jonathan Hernandez can throw really hard. So there are guys in that bullpen uh, that can be the closer. I think it'll be Leclerc. But even if it's not Leclerc, there they have some other options. So it's not a terrible bullpen. It's just not one that you know you'd circle and point out as a strength i guess yeah and i think even even their good relievers have the elevated walk rate without the disgusting k rate that comes with it i think of philadelphia as a team that has the filthy stuff shaky control bullpen yeah they got some commonalities with that but the rangers are like a notch below in terms of stuff filthiness (laughs) and stuff and i wonder how much that's going to come back to potentially bite them. And then the other thing about the Rangers, just thinking about their their pitching staff, right? I mean, Jacob deGrom coming back from from Tommy John surgery, so maybe we'll see him in the the late summer. 
Max Scherzer's coming back from a significant injury. They've got John Gray, who has struggled to complete a lot of healthy seasons in his career. Andrew Heaney and Nathan Evaldi. It's a it's a very high injury risk group of pitchers. And without DeGrom, it's sort of like, okay, kind of like the bullpen. It's not bad, but it's not great. And I don't know how long you can get away with that. That's the one part of the, of their system where I feel like there's not a lot of help on the way. They're they're trending into being one of those organizations that's really well built, but also needs to find a way to add pitching. Not unlike what we're seeing in Baltimore, where they just traded for Corbin Burns. Yeah, and their 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 solution so far has been the free agency market, and I think they've done well with Nathan Evaldi and and John Gray's a solid guy, so it's giving them the kind of the innings they need. Um. Unfortunately, the other side of their free agent or you know, sort of trade acquisition approach has shown what happens when you bet on older pitchers. They get hurt. And so they've got this really weird season coming where they'll be struggling to put together rotation at the beginning of the season. And then theoretically, depending on how everyone comes back together, uh, they might have Tyler Molly. Uh, Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer to add to their rotation as the season goes on. Uh, maybe they'll just get it perfectly right and all the guys who were healthy at the beginning of the season are hurt at the end of the season and they just always <laughs> somehow magically have five starters. There is a universe where that happens. Uh, but I think there'll be a lot of pressure on a couple of glue guys that are not even on um, you know, the top uh, of the, uh, the sort of projections table. Um, and so one guys, uh, the guys I'm looking at are Cody Bradford and Owen White. Um, and I guess one of these guys is going to make, and you can throw Jack Leiter in there, but his problems have been uh, kind of massive in terms of command. There was a little bit of daylight at the end of the season where he came back and it wasn't, the command wasn't as bad. So maybe he has made that adjustment. One of those three guys should be in the opening day rotation. And if there's going to be a bet from me on who it's going to be, it's actually Cody Bradford who... I didn't even put in my rankings, and I'm feeling like maybe I should have. Uh, the The thing that Cody Bradford has going for him is that he commands all four of his pitches at an above-average rate. And, you know, in terms of, like, how nasty those pitches are, only the four-seam and the change-up are average-ish. Um, but if you take a slider, like, for example, his slider has a 70-stuff plus, but a 105 location plus... Uh, by pitching plus, that's a 97. That's not a terrible pitch. It's a pitch that he has to locate to get value out of, but um, he locates it fairly well. So um, you've got a, f- like, it's kind of a polished, uh, if relatively unexciting by regular projections, it's a polished approach, one that won't hurt you with a ton of walks. I know he throws 90. I think he's going to be the fifth uh, the fifth starter in that rotation to begin the season. And uh, again, because of the, the way the season is shaped, maybe he just throws like 140 innings for them this year. Yeah, it's very possible. I, I could see him having a similar value to them this season that Dane Dunning had a year ago. And a lot of the ways you just described Bradford, like that doesn't, that, that would apply to Dane Dunning. He's yeah, not exactly. overwhelming you, but he's got a lot of pitches. He locates them well enough. It seems to work, right? So all you have to do is find a way to just get to the point where 
the big arms are back and healthy. And so far, as far as Scherzer's recovery goes, at least things have progressed pretty well. He had surgery to repair a herniated disc this offseason. So far, no setbacks. But the target's really more of June or July. So it, it could even be the all-star break before we see Scherzer back in this rotation again. And they, if it's lighter or for someone else in this organization that steps up among the young guys, they need something like that in a pretty big way just because of the way these have kind of all stacked together. Um, you mentioned the bullpen. I think LeClerc is the guy for now for chasing saves. I think the presence of David Robertson gives them a pretty decent insurance policy. Robertson is definitely like capital O old at this stage, but he's still very effective. And I think he'd be the first guy to get the chance in the ninth inning if they made a change. Spores might still be that longer term if everything starts to come together and he's getting more consistently good results throughout the year. He could be the guy that ends the year with the job, even if Robertson gets the first cracker replacing LeClerc. Yeah, I think I think that's an interesting way of thinking about it. Also think about um, the manager... I think uh, he, you know, Bruce Bochy enjoys having a closer with a capital C. He's not really a commu- uh, like a, com- a committee guy, but he does, you know, change his usage patterns. And so we do have this little bit of signal about how much he used Josh Spores in huge moments in the playoffs, and how important Spores was there. So. Dave Robertson's going to be a new guy coming into the fold. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Sabors is getting eighth inning uh, holds and uh, being in at least a co-setup guy behind LeClerc starting from day one. Could definitely see something like that come together as well. Why was this team so good last year? Well, they scored a lot of runs, right? This is a really strong position player core. Uh, we do have... Some recent news on Corey Seager that we haven't really talked about on the pod. He just had surgery for a sports hernia recently. So that could easily cost him a little bit of time when the season begins. I imagine the uh, kind of second round ADP we've seen on him in drafts will slide just a little bit as we get more information on that. But looking at their projections, these are the hitter projections from the Bat X, which you can go get over at Fangraphs. You want to check that out. Derek Cardi does a great job with these projections. This is a strong group. Like any top nine you put together is going to be about as good as any outside of maybe the Dodgers and Braves. That's the level the Rangers can perform on. And then they got the young talent kind of supplementing the veterans, right? We saw Evan Carter last year late in the season and in the playoffs. And we're probably going to see a lot of Wyatt Langford in 2024 as well. Yeah, I, I don't just I, I know that he's kind of in some depth charts already listed as a, a starter for them. Uh, Fangrass, for instance, he's the number one DH. Um, Wyatt Langford is. And they're basically betting on Evan Carter, Leody Tavares, Adolis Garcia in the outfield and Langford as the fourth outfielder and DH. Totally possible. I think, you know, if he has a great spring, I, I know for a fact that they, you know, they discussed like what would it what would it take to get White Langford on this uh World Series uh roster <laughs> last year when they had the injury. Um, you know, so I guess that's bad news uh for Ezekiel Duran stands as he becomes uh basically their utility guy on the infield if he makes the team. Um but I just not knowing that right now makes me a little bit nervous. The guy I'm not nervous about is Evan Carter. I just love the extreme, extreme plate discipline 
This is Joey Vatoian. Uh, <laughs> uh, plate discipline. Um, he doesn't quite have the raw power uh, you might want from a guy who's going to hit 25-plus homers, but he has enough raw power, and he gets to it so well because, I think, of that extreme plate discipline. If you think about it, like if you can only hit the ball 108, but you only swing at balls that go you know, 95 plus, which he has a nice hard hit rate because you never swing, you know, really outside the zone, um, then you're going to get to your game, your raw power more often. So I think this might end up with 20 homers. Um, I saw a comparison to Kyle Tucker. I don't know. I want, I would want to see a little bit more raw power before he's Kyle Tucker, but uh, Kyle Tucker light, you know, like I think the batting average will be good. The OBP will be amazing. Um, and I think we're talking about sort of a 260, 2030 guy, uh, which is beyond any of the projections, but it's sort of what I believe he can do. I think it's it's well within reach for Carter. I think some people are worried about possible lost playing time against lefties. That could be one little leak for him in the short term, but you really don't want to mess around with a player like this because he's a he's a he's a cornerstone. Like you don't. You don't need to take a player like this in and out of the lineup. You can do the simple thing, move him down in the order against lefties, move somebody else up, go that route, see what he can do, <laughs> right? Like don't don't mess up the future just because you're trying to optimize slightly. I, I, I love small sample platoon splits, my God. So he has a 54.5 strikeout rate against lefties and a minus 78 WRC plus, which suggests he's a 178% worse than league average. Um, it's uh, 11 plate appearances, and uh, so I would expect uh, that he gets some playing time against lefties to begin the season. If it, if it continues to be that bad, yeah. I think the, the most interesting player on this team, just in terms of wondering if there's another level, is probably Josh Young, right? You, you can see the star potential in Carter. It's okay if he doesn't get there right away. Langford should be among the favorites for AL Rookie of the Year. I think we have fair expectations at this point for both Semyon and Adelise Garcia. But you see Josh Young going, we did our third base preview a few weeks ago, and you look at him compared to the oatmeal types, the... Alex Bregman's, the Nolan Arenados. I don't know how those guys are oatmeal now, but they've been so good for That's so long. Later in your career, I guess. It just happens. Young seems like the kind of guy that the range of outcomes is still wide. I've, I've compared him in the past to Austin Riley because there's some things about him that make me think he could still take another step or two at the plate and be that kind of player, eventually be this early round masher in fantasy and a guy that actually maybe gets some MVP votes in real life, I think that's in his range of outcomes. But what's the flaw? Like, what's the main thing Josh Young has to change if he's going to turn the corner, get that K rate down, and become even more dangerous as someone in the middle third of this Rangers lineup? Yeah, my eye goes to that K rate right away. And if you go to his pitch uh, type values, you can see mashes fastballs. Uh, does, you know, scratch level work against the rest of the pitches um, and is a a fairly big minus in sliders. Um, and so, you know, if you're if you're on YouTube, you, you're, you're getting to see <laughs> one of the most remarkable rolling graphs I've I've ever seen, which is uh, a rolling graph of, of Josh Young's 15 game rolling strikeout rate and slider percentage. 
And these two lines are just on top of each other. Like they are the same line. And uh, I don't think I've ever seen something map so strongly. There, it is weird to then say, okay, if, if, if his K percentage just goes up with the slider percentage, why don't they just throw more sliders? Well, in July, he must have sat slider because he hit 407, 429, 593 against sliders. And if you're looking at this graph, that corresponds with a time in which they stopped throwing him sliders. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of of two minds when I look at this, which is just like, well, that's worrisome. It seems like he has trouble with sliders. But then at least for one month, he was able to flip the switch and destroy sliders. So I'm going to chalk this up to, you know, he's a young player that, you know, made the league made an adjustment to throw him tons of sliders and he made an adjustment back. Okay, I'm going to sit slider sometimes at least. Um, and that adjustment back was enough for pitchers to step off the sliders a little bit. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to go with a, a possible a breakout season with a 25 percent strikeout with him right with him. I'm going to see him take a leap forward there, and that's going to push his batting average up to 275, 280. So we're going to get a guy who could might hit 280 to 30 homers this year. And I think that's a pretty exciting leap forward for him. And I think the thing you have to like, too, is because they put tons of runs on the board, you're getting runs, you're getting RBIs, big juice on those categories as well for Josh Young. So um, nice to see him have that run where he was handling sliders. To me, it's sort of like proof of concept. He can hit the pitch. It's just a right. matter of getting into situations where you can more, I don't know, consistently predict when he's going to see one. Right. And like sort of theoretically, what you'll get uh, at, a, you know, at a peak season out of him is just a peak uh, anticipation. Now, you people want to call it guessing or whatever, but peak anticipation where he's like, oh, I can give you my super hard swing for the fastball in these times when I think a fastball is coming, but I can also put that swing I put on sliders in July. I can put that guy out there too. So. If you, you know, it is difficult though, because as I talked to Austin Riley about, you know, getting caught in between fastballs and sitting fastballs and sitting sliders is you just don't want to be caught in that in-between space where you're whiffing at both. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a timing issue. Uh, it's a, it's a anticipation issue, but this is the type of thing that I think players get better at as they get older. This is one of those learned skills. With all of this, Goldilocks porridge scale on the 86 wins from Pakoda. Too hot, too cold, or just right? Too cold. Too cold. I see, I see them being a, a wild card uh, winner and, uh, and having 88, 89, 90, more 90 wins. Yeah, their playoff odds, 52.8% by Pakoda. You're asking them to just stay afloat with some credible veterans uh, until they get some heavy hitters back in the rotation. Once they have those guys, like if there's a, a you know a September where they're running Max Scherzer and Jacob Degrom out there, um, you know, along with the rest of the, the rotation, um, I'm going to be excited about that. Yeah, this is a team that was third in all of Major League Baseball last year in runs scored, 881 runs. They're probably better with Carter and Langford for a full season. They were tied for fifth in barrel rate. Um, only the Dodgers and Braves played more runs than the Rangers last year. That's their bread and butter. It's still there. I think barring a combination of catastrophic injuries to the likes of you know, Gray and Heaney and the starters they need, Evaldi, they can keep it afloat. If multiple of those guys 
join the already injured guys on the IL for a prolonged stint. So that puts a lot of pressure on their player development mm-hmm. on the pitching side, which hasn't produced as many wins as their player development on the hitting side. I'm with you, though. I think the 86 felt just a little bit too cold for the defending champions. Let's move on to a team that, well, <laughs> I don't think they're, <laughs> I don't think they're even close. It's the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. It's What's the Pocota number on them. It's a sad state. It's 74 and a half is the number mm. that Pocota spit out for them. That's a 4.5 percent chance of making the playoffs. I mean, it's bad enough to to lose Otani, which for a long time sort of seemed inevitable. But this is not the this is not the bounce back winter you were hoping for. Okay, we lost Otani, but we did this, this, and this. Like they had to run Washington as their manager. Nice to see Wash get another shot. I could see them being a pain for the other teams in this division, right? I could see them being a team that still plays it out in August and September and does some things reasonably well, but yikes. Like, how how underwhelmed are you if you have to root for this team just based on what's happened over these last six months? I have very little to circle on this team where I can be like, this is exciting. Check out what's happening here. <laughs> it's not the rotation. Uh, I do like uh, Robert Stevenson, and Matt Moore's fine. I think it'll be an average-ish uh, bullpen. I don't think it has great depth. Um, the position player group leaves like there are some. There's a couple position players that I think are really bad, and uh, the the one place that I would circle, I guess, is up the middle. It's nice to be good up the middle. I like Logan Ohapi. I like Zach Neto, and I like Mike Trout. <laughs> you like Mike Trout, yeah. I, I, I mean, like Mike Trout. I'm alone on an island here. I know <laughs> nobody else likes Mike Trout, oh, uh, but I like Mike Trout. So it's nice that they're good up the middle. Um, their corner situation is atrocious on the infield. And uh, in terms of like pieces that go along with those three pieces, Renhifo, uh, Brandon Drury, Taylor Ward, they're okay. Like that's that's decent, but you know, like I don't think I anything I've said here is sort of uh, top ten. Like there's no unit that's top ten. Even my up the middle grouping with the age that Mike Trout's at, the the way that you kind of expect him to miss some of the season, I think it's hard to call Logan O'Hop, Zach Neto, and Mike Trout like one of the top ten up the middle trios. Right. It could be borderline. Maybe they're. 10th you know it could be fine I, I think that's the area where you have some hope it's good to yeah. be strong in those places it's relatively easy if you're willing to spend and the angels generally are willing to spend it's relatively easy to find help on the corners if that's all they needed you could have a little more optimism but the problem comes back to starting pitching which we'll get to in just a minute i still think trout is borderline elite as a hitter he doesn't steal bases the way he used to that's fine Projections are still really good. They just need to find a better way, and maybe this will be part of Otani leaving to keep him healthy. DH him more often. If he still wants to play some center field, fine, but maybe a third of his playing time should come as a DH now to take some of the wear and tear off of his body. That might be a way to actually get more out of him over the course of the season to push over the 545 plate appearances you see projected. 
Ohapi was so good coming off of the labrum tear in his shoulder. I think that's a really, really good sign that he went through what should be a normal offseason. I think when you look at Neto, he got to the big leagues so quickly, but it made a little more sense than what they did with Nolan Shanuel. We've talked about the quality of contact Shanuel made upon arrival last year and how problematic that is, especially for a corner infielder. So there's a lot of work to be done there. There's obviously the Anthony Rendon situation. It's truly an albatross at this point. A lot of questions as far as you know what they're going to get from him over the course of the year and what kind of relationship he'll eventually have with, with Ron Washington. A really good player for a long time. It just hasn't worked out for him so far with the Angels. It, it like If you're going to tell yourself a story that this team overachieves, part of it is Ohapi and Neto taking steps forward. Not unreasonable. Trout staying healthy. Not totally unreasonable. But other parts of it are finding things like Rendon getting back out there for 450 or 500 plate appearances and just being something close to the player they were expecting when they signed him. And it's Taylor Ward being a little more of the 2022 Taylor Ward than the 2023 version, right? Because before that injury that ended his season, Taylor Ward had taken a small step back. So I think you have to round up in just a few too many places to see their lineup getting considerably better this year. Yeah, I I was looking for... Uh, this graph that someone had put together when I mentioned that Mickey Moniak was an outlier among outliers. Um, but somebody had put together a, a walk and strikeout rate, just a simple plot of all players. And Mickey Moniak was like the, the one that's all the way down in the worst, in the worst quadrant with the highest strikeout rate and lowest walk rate. So, um, you know, it's, it's such a bad approach that I went and kind of looked through, you know, different players. You, you can do this thing on, on Fangrass where you go through the, um, it's called the what's it called the the year to year leaderboards. If you go to leaders, it's called season stat grid, and you can change the toggles just to see like who improved their chase rate from season to season, their O swing, uh, and you can just you can just sort it and look at them. And I looked at all the guys who last year in, in, uh, uh, decreased their their chase rate by uh, five to ten percent, and all of them were people that had chased less in the past and were going back to basically where they used to be. And so the only one that kind of really took a big step forward was Adolis Garcia, which we've talked about, um, you know, that being kind of huge. But you also wonder how much is Adolis Garcia going to regress? It's not like we've seen him reach this new level and stay there for a long time, you know? And so uh, my question is just, for a guy who swings at 50% of the balls that he sees outside the zone. And for him, you know, he even knows that's a problem. And he just said, uh, I think at the Angels Fan Fest or whatever it was, I saw some comments that he wants to swing at better pitches this year. Uh, it's so it's such an extreme problem that I, I'm not optimistic that he's going to solve it. And so for me, he's... Um, what you call like a, a a second division starter, you know, like somebody who can, who would play for a bad team, but wouldn't play for a good team. You know, I hate to say it that way, but <laughs> fair summary though. I mean, the skills just haven't been there to support a big step forward so far. Good to be aware of the problem. Hope for his sake, he can make some adjustments. Uh, we talked about it during the very 
last part of our outfield preview, but I actually thought Trey Cabbage was kind of interesting given the way the, the organizational outfield depth chart was was made up. The Angels didn't find him as interesting as I did. He is now uh, in the Astros organization. So power speed guy at AAA, a little old for the level, of course, but now on a division rivals roster and uh, almost inevitably going to hit some home runs against the Angels at some point this year. And I think that they have options. So it's like you could say, okay, uh, we're going to go with the Oscar Colas Lodem thing and we're going to just take a guy that has opportunity and, you know, isn't necessarily that good, but like, you know, uh, he's going to play. And and if you look at some of his projections, you say, oh, you could hit 20 homers and steal 10 bases. Like, you know, that's value, dude. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, like Joe Adele has problems uh, with strikeout rate and walk rate. But in fact, he has a lower swinging strike rate than Moniak. He has a lower strikeout rate for his career than Moniak. He has a lower chase rate than Moniak. He hits the ball like five miles an hour harder at the top ends, even gets to barrels uh, as much or more. So, you know, they're similarly flawed guys, but Adele's flaws are not as bad in the same places. And then you have, you know, Aaron Hicks, who's boring, but uh, has proven to be a capable uh, starter on good teams. And last year was an above average bat, you know? So um, I, I don't know. I don't even know that uh, Moniak makes it to the, the, the full amount of playing time he needs to get to those projections. But I want to say something nice. So I'm going to talk about Zach Neto for a second. And I'm going to talk about the fact that he has above average uh, contact rate abilities, above average walk rates he's shown in the minors um, that didn't show last year, but did show in an above average chase rate for Zach Neto. Uh, A slightly above average max EV, not an elite one, a slightly above average bail rate, but not an elite one, above average speed, but not elite speed. This, to me, looks like someone who can be above average in every facet of the game. And one thing that happened late in the season was he had a back injury. And if you look at his strikeout rate, his hard hit rate, uh, and uh, just overall production, they all went in the tank after he was uh, after he had that back injury. So I'm thinking good health. You know, a back injury could be something that happens when you take a guy that was drafted in 2022 and you stick him in the major leagues um, and you ask him to play every day. You know, it's just sort of uh, repeated use and more fatigue than he was used to. I say in a second attempt at the big leagues, we see uh, a lot better out of Zach Neto. And the projections are for him to hit 250 with 20 homers, 330 OBP, 10 stolen bases. Like this is already a capable back-end starting shortstop uh front end middle infielder um in fantasy and for them i think uh the first in a in a long stretch of like this is at least an above average you know starting shortstop in the big leagues yeah i'm with you on netto i I think there could be a nice step forward for him here in his first full season and that back injury is something that i kind of overlooked a little bit while kind of taking my first inventory of netto uh, from his rookie season. So I think it's an important thing to keep in mind for appropriate context. The pitching might be a little better than some people think that it's not a compliment. Some people just think their pitching's horrible. Basically, the, <laughs> it might be below average, but not horrible. Not horrible. <laughs> I think Reed Detmers is just he, what you see is what you get at this point. But Griffin Canning being healthy and pretty effective last year is a good sign for them. 
And Chase Silseth continues to be someone that I'm intrigued by because he's going to get chances to start here that he might not get in a more competitive situation. But that might be the best thing for his long-term development. I think he could actually could make it as a starter. It might be bumpy, but we see flashes from him that give me some hope, especially for some deeper leagues. If you're just trying to find a good arm that's available you know, way outside the, the top 25 rounds. Yeah, subscribers uh, have access to the pitching report, the new pitching report. Just look through the link, the Google Doc link off of my rankings, uh, and you'll see the new revised stuff plus. Um, and, you know, if you put, if you sort uh, Chase's pitches by, you know, number and you look at it, you, you start to see what the problem is. Um, his forcing fastball is uh, decidedly below average by not only uh, the physical characteristics of the pitch, but also his locations. So it's a bad pitch and it's a problem. And what happens is the sinker isn't great by stuff plus, but he locates it well. The split finger is a great pitch. That is a really good pitch. The slider is okay, but he doesn't locate it well. So what happens is... Um, you know, against righties, he has a plan. He can locate the sinker well, and then he can finish them off with a slider uh, that's outside the zone or a split finger in or out of the zone. So that works against righties. Against lefties, he has this problem where he can't locate his forcing well. And what you see against lefties is his walk rate goes from about league average to 12.5% against lefties. His FIP against righties is four and a half. And against lefties, it's six and a half. Um, and so despite having an out pitch, like a split finger that works, uh, he doesn't have the arsenal that works against lefties. So I would hope for just better locations on his on his four-seam fastball. I, I'm not, what is his, uh, what were his grades coming up on that, uh, on command? I don't think that he was uh, a terrible 40-40 command. Yeah, I guess. I guess he was kind of terrible there. So, I mean, you're hoping for something that he hasn't necessarily shown, but the pieces are kind of there. Um, one thing I did notice, and I'm going to be coming out with a piece soon about five young pitchers that can take a step forward. Um, you do need to have at least one hard pitch you can command. The sinker showed up there. What if he just uses a sinker some against lefties when he needs a strike? You know, you're not supposed to throw it in certain areas, but maybe he can command it well. Maybe he can throw it in those areas where you can dance around and find your way through lefties. I mean, he's never going to be dominant against lefties, but uh, if you can just get a couple sinkers in there for called strikes, boom, now you're in there for the splitter. So uh, it's nice that he has an out pitch, and it's nice he can command one hard pitch. That's actually a starter kit for things working out. I was thinking maybe the cutter could be part of the solution, though, to lefties as well, if he can command that. I mean, we know how much the... The cutter changed everything for Corbin Burns a few years back. Doesn't always work quite that well, but early career Corbin Burns had a major, major problem with lefties. They got just toasted by them. So you got to find something that works. Because he is his. If you rank his hard pitches, it's cutter, sinker, uh, uh, four seam. Mm -hmm. And when he first came up, he was trying to be four seam to lefties, just like Chase. Yeah. So, hey, having seen it work, that's why I'm like, ooh, he at least throws a cutter. Maybe there's something there <laughs> yeah. with a winter that, that I, I, can unlock That's something. what I listen for in the spring, right? Mm -hmm. I'm focusing on the cutter. You start watching some, watch some at-bats against lefties, see what he does. Be cool to see him figure some things out. 74 and a half wins from Pakoda for the Angels. Too hot? Too cold? Just right. Too, too hot. <laughs>
<laughs> got him under 74 and a half. I think that, yes, that's what the numbers say, but I think it's just going to be one of those seasons, and I don't buy into narrative a ton, but like when I see the Angels and the A's coming this season, I see just sadness. <laughs> like, how are you going to go to Anthony Rendon if you're Ron Washington and get him to buy in when you just lost Shohei Otani? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't fully bought in with everybody there. Like, Right. <laughs> you couldn't buy in with the like one of the greatest players of all time, maybe, like on your roster. Maybe two, maybe two of the top like 10, 15 players of all time you couldn't buy in. So like, oh yeah, this year, dude, come on, we need you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the A's like, you know, a whole litany of reasons that's going to be depressing. Um, and I just think that that's not going to lead to a great work environment. You're not going to want to come into work. Ramon Laureano's worst season as an A came the season he really just wanted to leave. Got really into coffee, right? Yeah, that's what he said. He told me getting into coffee. So it's like, you know, that's what they're all going to have these stories. Going into that clubhouse as a writer is going to be awful. I'm going to have to do it. And I don't like I'll I'll find people to talk to and it's still a great job. I'm not but I'm just saying that if it's not great for me and I get to go home and nobody yells at me on the field for being bad and I don't lose games in front of everybody, then it's going to be bad for the players. (laughs) So I think there's like this like added uh, layer. And then the last bit is if they aren't good and they're worse than they're expected or even just play to these projections, they are going to sell. Oh, yes. Any useful reliever will once again be moved. Maybe we'd see Mike Trout possibly get moved. It's possible. Yeah, I mean, like if Carlos Estevez is is not your closer or he's, you know, he's on an expand, expiring contract, he's an easy guy to trade. You know, it's anything like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, oh, Ross Stripling and Alex Wood. I know I'm jumping ahead, but like, you know, these guys that are on a contract, if you're not going well, then, you know, somebody else can use you. So. You know, that's that's something that Billy Bean said is like, if you can be good enough to not sell at the deadline, you can actually gain wins in this after the deadline, because you even if I just sitting in one place, other teams are selling and getting worse. You know, so there is there is some aspect of the projections that's not gonna, they're not going to model that out. They're going to model the players that are on that team. They're going to model sales. You know, they're not going to be like, oh, and then they'll lose Carlos's Devez at the trade deadline. So then they'll get even worse. I think that's too much to ask of a model. So I will take the under. And that's also what you happen is the models always push you towards the middle um, because of that and because of regression and because of, you know, they want the, be- the meaty outcomes. They want the middle. So, you know, I could see... Uh, 200 lost teams in this division. <laughs> I'll stay just right on the 74 and a half. So <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm a little less disaster mode on the Angels than you are, but um, that's not, not much of an endorsement. We led with strength. We started with the Rangers. That was the important thing about getting these two teams also. Oh, I like I like Canning. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you I had Canning. to say something a little bit nice at the end there. Of course. <laughs> it's going to be disaster. I like River Canning a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, 
and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. Let's move on to the A's. It's, oh, um, man. <laughs> just, just think about doing 30 team previews and saving them for the end, right? You, you, oh, you have the fatigue. You'd be you're thinking like, about it. No, yes. That, that's why we just wanted to get through it and leave teams people are more excited about for the yeah. remaining days of the series. 64.8 wins is the projection almost 10 full wins behind the angels. I don't think they're that much worse than the angels. That's, <sighs> that's the thing that I think is kind of funky about the A's because I think I believe some of the younger players they're going to lean on, give them a little extra juice, but let's be realistic here. This is a team that was dead last and runs scored last year, 585 next closest, the white Sox at 641. That is a huge gap from the basement to 29th in that category. Why do you like their young hitters? You start looking at the leaderboard, you know, ADP board we got up on the screen. Zach Galoff, we talked a lot about in our second base preview. Looks legit. Power, speed, everyday guy. Looks like a cornerstone for this rebuild. I'm excited about him. I think Shea Langoliers takes a step forward this year. The power's already there. I think the overall offensive value is a little bit under-projected right now. We'll see if I'm actually right about that. And then there's a couple of wild cards. You know, Estrella Ruiz would count as a wild card. Fantasy people love him because of the speed. I get it. You could see 60-plus bags if he's out there every single day playing great defense in center field. Plays such great defense that he took the S right off of Seth Brown's name in front of us, which is just fantastic. <laughs> so it's like that trio, mostly Galoff and Langoliers, Ruiz just being kind of a, a fun, speedy center fielder. And then the next wave is starting to show up. We saw Tyler Soderstrom debut last year. It wasn't great. He's been young for the level everywhere he's been. I think between catcher and first base, he gets a ton of playing time this year, even if he gets another taste of AAA at some point. They're Ryan probably getting an upgrade. A, sort of competent power patience guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they get something out of be- him. I think you'll be kind of a two-ish win player. Get a little something out of Brent Rooker. But it's kind of like, what do you get from Soderstrom, Jordan Diaz, Lawrence Butler, and even Daryl Hernandez? Because those are the kinds of guys that could pop ahead of their projection and make this team a little bit more watchable than they were in 2023. Yeah, and each has their own flaws. As much as I like Jordan Diaz, um, you know, because he makes good contact and hits the ball hard, uh, you know, despite not really having good patience, being really ultra aggressive, there are plenty of players who've played that combination of skills to like, you know, like a 250, 300 OBP, 400 slugging, uh, which I could, that's totally attainable for Diaz. Um, the the defense that I, I scouted, I th- you know, personally, I thought was uh, was not really capable anywhere so i don't know if dh is open for him or first base on this team so that's that makes me a little bit nervous um if you're talking about uh lawrence butler i think the 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 
the flaw is pretty obvious is that um, the strikeout rate, you know, he's had some okay strikeout rates, but the swinging strike rate has always been fairly high. Um, and so this might be that kind of guy who has holes that major league pitchers can expose better than minor league pitchers. And so despite uh, Lawrence Butler having an 18, 19% strikeout rate in double A AA and triple A last year, he comes to the big leagues, 27% in the big leagues. Projections are 25 to 27, 28% for, for Butler. If he can, if he can turn that around a little bit, his chase rate's not too bad. He's got the physical skills in terms of power and speed. That's the thing you're looking for is a spring. And that's something you can see in the spring to some extent. Maybe he'll strike out less in spring. That every day that he doesn't strike out twice in a game in spring, you know, makes him that much more interesting to me. And then the last one, Daryl Hernandez, you know, interesting young rookie. I put up this comparison uh, that I was I was just looking at AAA numbers because we've got some batted ball stuff for AAA numbers, um, and so I wanted to compare Nick Allen and Daryl Hernandez in AAA. You know, because Nick Allen's played some of the majors, I just wanted to see what that'd be like. And in terms of strikeout rate, both of them struck out ten percent of the time, so they both put good wood on the ball in terms of bat to ball. Daryl Hernandez had a one twenty ISO, and Nick Allen had a one ninety ISO which is, I think, points to why you need to be careful looking at minor league ISOs. There are lots of different ways to get to those numbers. And I think Nick Allen did it with his feet, and Daryl Hernandez does it a little bit more with his bat. And the reason I say that is Daryl Hernandez's max exit velocity in the minors last year was 112, and for Nick Allen, it was 105.8. Daryl Hernandez's hard hit rate was 38.5%. Nick Allen's was 29.5%. So <clears throat> I think Darren Hanias hits the ball harder. Nick Allen is pretty much a whiz with the glove. And so if you're watching for something this spring, you're an A's fan or you're, you're, you're scouting for your team, your fantasy team, I would actually watch defense. Because I think if Hanias can play good defense, Allen turns into a defensive uh, sub, basically. And Hanias gets the job every day because I think he hits the ball harder. And Nick Allen has shown that he... I don't know if he has a major league uh, uh, bat uh, that he's swinging. I don't think he is a major league hitter, but the A's have given him a few chances. The three-year age gap for Hernias versus Allen, too, I think is encouraging. Hernias could still get a little stronger, unlock a little bit more power as he continues to grow in the next couple of seasons. So I kind of like him as a really deep league option who should take over that position early, claim it. As his own. The big question with the Sturry Ruiz is going to be you know, the quality of the contact. Is there any reason to believe that he can start to hit the ball harder and do a little bit more damage to be more than just a, a speedster who relies heavily on his legs to do almost everything he can to contribute offensively? Yeah, I tried to look at his uh, 15 game rolling averages, and he did try to lift the ball a little bit in the in the in the in the end of the season, hit the ball a tiny bit harder. Uh, and he's been recorded as saying, and the organization's been saying that he's trying to trying to get to his power more. So, you know, that's an interesting thing. The other thing is I, I sorted this, this table here by hard hit rate and you just take 300 uh, uh, plate appearances. Hard hit rate is how many times you hit it over 95 miles an hour and, over 95 mile an hour, like all of your outcomes are better. 
Um, and so his hard hit rate, the bottom of the hard hit rate leaderboard for the big leagues last year, 300 plate appearances is Stephen Kwan, Geraldo Perdomo, Estory Ruiz third, Tony Kemp, Adam Frazier, Miles Straw, Jake McCarthy, Whit Merrifield, Luis Arias, Bryce Turang. I mean, Luis Arias is a unicorn. You take that one off and it's not a list you want to be on. It is, it's a poor, and like Stephen Kwan, also both of those guys, Arias and Kwan make so much more contact than Ruiz. So, like, th- their way forward is clear. Ruiz needs to get off this list. The only thing that I can say that he's he leaps off the page a little bit on this list, he has a 109.5 max EV, and the closest one to him is Jake McCarthy, 108.5, and the average on this list is almost like 105. So he does have more raw power, shown it sometimes in the minors this is like a what what percentage likelihood do you think of him having a six percent barrel rate next year that'd be almost double what he had this year it would be if you have a six percent barrel rate you can hit 18 homers i think it's like 10 to 15 percent chance he gets up there <laughs> it's but not zero it's not it's zero not zero because we've seen him while being young for his age at a few stops in the minors get to double digit power like that, that's been there we've seen some patience like we've seen some interesting skills all kind of scattered around i think the the thing with ruiz that's tricky do big league pitchers with premium velocity just not fear him and just fill up the zone against them in a way that keeps him from walking the way he did when he was younger, right? Like, can you be tricked by the minor league walk rates in a case like this? When you don't hit the ball hard, pitchers will challenge you more. Pitchers with good command can fill up the zone, be around the zone, and so you know your walk rate never gets back to those levels. That is possible here, but I have moved a little bit, and I think maybe you have too, whereas last year we were kind of like, no, no Asturias Ruiz for fantasy purposes. Just can't do it. It's too desperate. It's only only if we're way behind on bags and just need to throw the Hail Mary. Now you could start to see a little bit more falling into place. But there's still a world. There's a range of outcomes where if he struggles, he could also lose his job. Like that that's in the profile because there's so much there's so much chaos here. It's not a plus glove. Right. And so if you're if you're profiling as an 80 WRC plus corner in corner outfielder, I don't know all the speed in the world isn't going to help you. So really really wide range of outcomes, but it, geez, if he just hangs on to the job for even a year and plays every day, tons of bags, probably a batting average that doesn't hurt you, non-zero pop with the possibility for more. We're finding some things to like with this Dewey Ruiz. The pitching is the problem here too, right? We talked about the additions recently of Alex Wood and Ross Stripling that should give them some innings. Probably 130 for each is a, a reasonable sort of expectation. I know you like Joe Boyle and you can see the stuff numbers have been fantastic. JP Sears is the other guy that I keep finding in deep leagues. I'm saying, ah, he's still there. I need innings. I can stream him at home. I see the case for it. There's some times last season when I watched Luis Medina and it was working and I was kind of like, whoa, hey, like this this might be something. There might be an actual starter here that can can be useful every fifth day. But then you'd watch a few more starts and you'd see the downside. You'd see the shaky command kind of rear its head. So is this 
core group of starting five, and they're going to need a lot more than five starters to get through the season. But is this core group of five any better than what they started last season with? You, I wasn't expecting that question for some reason. I guess I didn't see it. On, <laughs> I didn't read the rundown well enough. <laughs> is it better than? Um, yes, it has some uh, competent uh, veterans in it, and Stripling and Wood. Um, I think Blackburn's going to bounce back a little bit, and he's uh, he's competent. So I would say there's more competency <laughs> uh, in Sears, Blackburn, Wood, and Stripling. It's like there's some competency there, like at least not below replacement level. And then, and for me, the upside is uh, represented by the two guys who are the wildest. Uh, and so what you were saying with the large range of outcomes for Asturias Ruiz, it's interesting because this is a team that I think acquires players that have that have le- lower ranges of outcomes. They want to because they acquire like guys who've been good in AAA and are in the middle of their careers. You know that that they do that a lot. And yet we're talking about Asturias Ruiz having a huge range of outcomes. And I think Joe Boyle and Luis Medina have anywhere from, you know, being top end starters to to being relievers or or worse so um i'm gonna bet on joe boyle i referenced earlier that you know um you need to have one uh hard pitch you can command it was in the uh, chase silthos conversation and the way that i found this is i looked at 55 breakout seasons in the stuff plus era young players under 25 years old with an era with a sierra under four you know, so breakout seasons, 50 innings at least. And what I found was all but five of them had a fastball they could locate above average. Joe Boyle doesn't have that. So that's bad. But uh, on that list of five, four out of the five could command their sliders at above average rate. So this is a slider league. You can't always locate your fastball well. If you need a strike, sometimes you go to the slider. That might work for Joe Boyle. And I think basically what the A's did was ramp up his slider usage in uh, counts when he needed a strike. Uh, the uh, Just as an aside, the only player that had a breakout season that could not command his two fastballs or a slider at above average rate? Mm-hmm. Ashby. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> just had to throw that one in there. But uh, I, I think Joe Boyle uh, has a way forward. Um, I know it's it's poor command and that it'll anger uh, Reds fans uh, if he does find it uh, because command is one of those things when you watch, you're just like, uh, uh, it's so hard to watch the bad command and you're just, I could I totally, I get it when people are like, DL Hall, not going to be a starter. I've watched these games. You can't find the plate. Not good. And, you know, you know Joe Boyle, not good because you watch it and you see him walk three or four guys and you're like, I don't, I don't want this guy on my team, but there are ways to mitigate that. Like you, there are ways to train for it. Luis Medina has did not locate any of his pitches at an above average rate last year, so there's not one pitch where you can be like, well, at least he can locate this one when he needs to. Boyle had that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think a little more stability is the right way to describe what they're doing in the rotation. The thing that is brutal about their organizational construction from a talent perspective is that they still they've got so little back from the big trades that they made that's where you'd say by now the a's should start to have a a good system 
They don't. A guy they got from this trade or a guy they got from this trade. They, it's just not like that. And even some of the early draft picks they've had, they haven't been hitting on those. Like this is this is weird. Like this this level of dysfunction is actually sort of new because for a long time, the efficiency, the ability to draft, the ability to trade well, those were things that you could sort of look at and say, oh, the A's do that. When they dip, they're going to bounce back quickly. This is a really slow climb from the bottom. Like, I still think they're the clear worst team in this division. It just might not be by 10 games. It might be by six or seven, which is really splitting hairs. Like, what's the difference? We're still the worst team in the division. Yeah, I guess if, if you want a conspiracy theory or, or, or some tea or, or, or just you want me to like sort of walk off a little bit past just what the numbers say. Kind of a, a read of mine on this is that the league kind of figured out what the A's like to do and started manipulating them. Mm. And, you know, so I have this weird idea that the Brewers traded for Asturio Reese to trade him to the A's. We need to get a confirmation um, of that at some point. I mean, it'd be amazing. I don't think that that's something that anyone would ever even let me say that, you know, oh, I have a source that said that, yeah, that totally happened, you know? 10 years this, later, yeah. In, this, in, yeah, maybe after people are retired. 2034, maybe we'll know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it becomes a little bit easier to trade with the A's if you're like, oh, they like guys uh, who, you know, performed well in AAA. Uh, and are 25, you know, uh, you can put together a nice little package of guys that you don't value internally for whatever reason, um, and, and prize them. To that being said, Cole Irvin for Daryl Hernandez, uh, doesn't seem like a terrible trade. No, that's the so, kind of stuff you'd expect them to do yeah. kind of on, on repeat based on more of their past behavior. Right. So. Uh, maybe it's just a, a short term. Maybe it's um, that other player development and coaching has taken a leap forward. One thing you have, you do see when you look at the A's is they have the same, they say the same coaches. The coaches that are at the major league level went all the way through the minors. They they don't fire people. They're very loyal to their people. I think part of it is they don't pay well. So you know, once they get somebody to take the job and seems competent, and you know, then you just keep them in that job. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not saying that I would love to like come in and fire everybody, but like, you know, you have to be a little bit more cutthroat when you're not getting results. And that's how you stay stagnant as an organization is you don't hire, you don't put enough emphasis on hiring. You don't put enough emphasis on pushing forward and you kind of sit in your laurels and, and just, you know, have the same guys you've had forever. Last thought here on the A's. I mean, the bullpen, I think Lucas Ersig was a good story last year. Danny Jimenez shows occasional flashes. The big key is going to be Mason Miller, right? If Mason Miller stays healthy, he could be one of the best relievers in baseball, right? Is that a fair ceiling statement? No, 100%. He could, you know, Felix Bautista, like he could he could just jump and like all of a sudden be, oh, hey, he's the first or second best closer in the league. That's how nasty he is. Yeah, I really like the possibility of him uh, popping and being a top five closer this year. Team's not going to win a ton, but when they win, they're going to win close games. They'll generate enough opportunities for that to happen. It's more about Mason Miller avoiding the IL for a full season. It'd be huge if he could actually uh, do that for them. 64.8 wins from Pakoda on the A's. Too hot, too cold, or just right? Uh, I think it's just right, but I think actually too hot, I think it'll be 62. You're really going for the 200 lost teams. 
Yeah. <laughs> in the AL West. All right. Well, hey, I'm on board with Maybe that. Maybe it's 63. They climb their way out and have a great win at the end of the season to keep, the, keep that 100 off. It seems like something rebuilding teams want to avoid. The optics <laughs> yeah, of the 100 <laughs> loss season. Feels like another just right for me. So, uh, I, I don't know. Feeling pretty good about Pakoda. Uh, at least on day one, I'll, I'll get angry about it over the, the next <laughs> couple of weeks, I'm sure. Wait, let me just look at the Brewers one. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I've got thoughts on that one. Yeah, yeah you're going to see the number and you're going to understand why I'm mad oh, about it. Oh, yeah. You disagree with that one. I've got, I've got a lot of problems with that number. <laughs> that'll be for a future episode uh, if you uh, want to sign up for The Athletic this is a great time to do it theathletic.com slash rates and barrels $2 a month for the first year gets you everything Eno's pitching rankings all the fantasy baseball stuff we do all the real baseball stuff plus coverage other sports we cover a lot of sports at The Athletic so check us out theathletic.com slash rates and barrels on Twitter you can find Eno at Eno Saris you can find me at Derek Van Riper. the pod is at rates and barrels we've got lots of team previews to roll out and other great episodes interspersed in there, too. But that's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.